0: mm. Okay. (laughs) Exactly.
1: This is the AT Banter podcast, a balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Fleury, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything regarding assistive technology and the disability community. Now on with the show.
0: Hey, and welcome to another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. Hi, my name is Rob Minot, and uh, today joining me, Mr. Ryan Flurry. Good day. And uh, that's it. It's once again. It's just me and Ryan. Me and Rob. Uh, mainly because well, Steve's out, out on vacation. Out in the wilds. Vacation. Da, 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 whatever happened to the Go Go's? I don't know. I guess they're probably in some old age home by now. <laughs> Actually, I guess they're not. Not a yeah, whole yeah, lot older no. than us. I don't know. Well, yeah, about ten maybe. years older, maybe. But. Yeah. All right. Well, they could be in a home. You're right. Could You're be, right. They're probably not in a home, but. it could be touring there for s- Japan. Certainly. Oh, maybe. Who knows? Maybe. Uh, anyways. Uh, hey, Ryan. Yes, sir. Uh, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, anything new and exciting in your life? Not a thing. How, is there anything new and exciting in the world of
1: accessibility and or assistive technology? Well, Rob, now that you ask, there yeah. was an announcement made in the last few days. What? At the National Federation of the Blind conference, I had to think about that for a second. Yeah, and Hims mm-hmm. has announced a new product called the CubeBraille XL. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, what's in, so? What's is this just an, uh, a new Braille display? It is a new Braille display, but it's very unique. What they've done is they've taken a lot of the familiar QWERTY keys, like the function keys across the top of our QWERTY keyboard. Yeah as well as your arrow keys up, down, left, and right, your escape, control, shift, tab, um, control, alt, and so on, and added them to the keyboard as well. So you've got a 40-cell Braille display. Uh You've got a six-key Perkins-style keyboard for entry as well. Oh, okay. But you can also do commands like alt-F4 to close an application, so you'd never have to take your hands off this keyboard. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, I see. Okay, all right. Right, what? so you could be reading oh, Braille with your screen reader of choice, right, and doing Braille input on the six key Perkins input keyboard, and if you want to close an application, instead of using some you know strange configuration of Braille to close an application, you just hit the Alt F4 keys.
0: Now, so wow, that actually that's really interesting. I'm, I'm kind of surprised that nobody has thought of this before because. Yeah, that's that's well okay, let me ask you this then. So with that with those new function keys then does it mean the unit is bigger than usual? Like they did they have to sort of sacrifice some real estate for the design to to put that row
1: of keys above the perkins No, it's it's your familiar style, qwerty style keyboard. So if you've got so a just, desktop keyboard that you are using currently with your computer Basically, take out the letters on the keyboard and plop in a six-key Braille input and a forty-cell Braille display.
0: So it really is, so the unit <coughs> itself
1: isn't any bigger than any other Braille display. Nope. Really? Nope. Or or a forty-keyboard. So you can use this as your Braille input keyboard. You can use this in conjunction with, like I said, function keys. So That's Alt F4 cool. to, four That's to cool. close an application. Um, you know, regular screen, screen reading commands, like, you know, insert F11 to bring up your system tray. Uh-huh. So for somebody like myself, who isn't a real strong or proficient Braille reader, I've got the best of both worlds. I've got the 40-cell Braille display. I can do Braille input if I so desire. And I've got, you know, the regular QWERTY keyboard, so Alt-F4, Control-Escape, Tab, Shift-Tab.
0: So really, so it's, it's, cool.
1: it's just a, a little bit more ease of ease of
0: use it sounds like. It's a usability sort of improvement on the on the overall design
1: of the unit. Yeah, it's based on, on the braille edge braille display by Hems as well. So built in you have note taking, um so a built-in basic note taker, a daisy reader, a calculator. Um what else is there? I think there's a stopwatch or a timer. So it's got some basic utilities built in as well. As Bluetooth, you can pair it up to mm-hmm. I believe it was five five Devices, uh huh. As well as you can use it with USB. That's so very cool. Yeah, it sounds very cool. Uh, so when's this thing supposed to be out? Is it? I heard a rumor, possibly September. They're taking okay. pre orders okay. now. Hmm, interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, you know what? Uh, it's it's funny how these little design changes can really have really big implications in terms of uh, of, of functionality,
1: right? Absolutely. You know, like a screen reader, like JAWS for Windows, you know, you can do many, many commands right off of your Braille display if you can do finger gymnastics. You know, so, you know, I don't know what the Braille equivalent is of doing an Alt-F4 to close an application using a Braille keyboard. But how great is it that you can actually just press the Alt key and the F4 key on a device like this and not have to memorize, you know, all these Braille Braille contractions so I think it's exciting I think it's revolutionary and I really you know I really see a need for something like this
0: very cool well and I don't know I assume that if this thing's a success the year we're probably going to see it bleed into this this particular design feature sort of bleed into uh, other manufacturers uh, displays as well I'm, I'm assuming
1: yeah I don't think it's going to be long before the competition is releasing a product to, you know, chances are they've already been working on it. It always seems that these companies leapfrog each other anyway. Right. So I don't think it's going to be long. Cool. hmm Hey, speaking of Braille. Braille. Uh, what are we doing today? Today we're talking with Brian McDonald, the president of National Braille Press. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Look All at All about Braille. Yeah. Today is,
0: looks like Braille heavy today. B-R-A-I-L-L-E braille <laughs> nice <laughs> uh it's monday <laughs> yeah it, it is why don't we talk we'll get, you know what tell me tell me what you're telling me a little bit earlier off mic about uh about what what vocal was was uh oh. was sending out last week because i thought this was interesting
1: all right well a friend of the show steph kirkland who is director of Vocali which is a descriptive theater program here in the Lower Mainland, here in Vancouver, posted on Facebook that there's a casting company here in Vancouver called, I think it's Candice Elzinga Casting. Okay. Um, And anyway, uh, they are looking for blind and visually impaired people to audition for an Apple original TV series being shot from September of this year, 2018, to March of 2019. And like I said, you're looking for blind and visually impaired people from ages 6 all the way up to, you know, 80, 85, 90. And uh, various uh, parts. I've only seen two parts listed so far. But, you know, we'll include the details if you're interested in our show notes. Uh, there's an email address and a phone number if you're interested in reaching out to Candice, who is the contact at Candace Alzinga casting. And, um, yeah, it looks like it's a show based 600 years in the future where civilization has all lost their vision and have learned to adapt and do things differently. So it's interesting premise. Uh, it, it is an interesting premise. Actually, the premise
0: is what really interests me because I I don't know. This is, it, this is cool. Like, I don't know that there's ever been a show like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah it's it's interesting i want to wonder how i wonder why we all lost our vision i don't know I haven't got that far <laughs> we become mole people we yeah, have to I'm go like sure. underground for like a hundred years and then because and then we just go blind because of all the darkness i don't know
1: i know nothing yeah i'll send you the info i have so that's cool so so you're you're auditioning I've reached out to Candace uh-huh. and asked you know about when auditions are and where uh-huh. auditions are being held, and she so, you know told her my age and stuff. So she asked me where I was located. So I replied to her this morning, uh-huh. and I'm just waiting to hear back from her, and we'll Look at go you. from there. So it could be a movie star. I could at least put actor on my resume. Interesting. If I, if I get a part, mm-hmm.
0: huh? Yeah, it's an need extra a, a grumpy bastard if that's they, right. They need...
1: <laughs> grumpy bastard grumpy one. Grumpy bastard, that's right. Uh, that's pretty cool, my friend. Yeah, so we'll see what happens with that, you know, but like I said, we'll include all the details and contact info. I think in our show notes because Sure, if you, did, so if you're in the lower mainland, share it. So.
0: Yeah, if you're in the lower mainland and you want to you're visually impaired and you want to get some some TV time, mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Why not? So it'd be fun. I, I went, actually it was an extra in a uh, the first year. I was down here. Uh, I moved down with friends, and we there was a casting call for a TV movie. Really? I think it was a TV movie. It might have been. A, it might have been a theatrical release movie that was like in theaters for like five minutes. It was like <laughs> it was like it had John Ritter, really, and Pam Dauber from Mork and Mindy in it. Wow! And it was uh, the the premise was. Uh f- oh, what was it called? I don't even remember the name of the movie. Anyways, they <laughs> the movie like they, they rented out the entire agrodome on the PE grounds mm-hmm. and uh, it was it was sort of subbing for a it was a wrestling scene. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, so so John Ritter and, and Pam Dauber were were wrestlers in the scene and they were wrestling this these evil these other evil wrestlers, and so, so they just wanted like extras for the crowd, right? Mm-hmm. And and uh, they they f- they filled maybe a quarter of the agrodome, and then just had people move around as the <laughs> as the camera shots. Huh. But it was cool, you know. They gave out signs and stuff, and you know, I think they they a bunch of elementary schools just like had big field trips and just mm-hmm. let the kids like sit in the audience to sort of watch. And it was it was fascinating. It was fascinating watching a, a TV show. Did they feed you? yeah we got lunch Excellent. we got sandwiches and stuff nice um so that was fun and then you know you're uh, routinely when i was when i was going to college in new westminster uh they would be filming uh episodes of the x-files mm-hmm. so we always used to go and and find out where they were filming on the street and stuff and watch and saw david duchovny walk his dog one day wow in the park yeah well
1: so you could put actor on your linkedin profile no
0: well, yeah, maybe, As sure. Extra, maybe I should. Not? Maybe yeah. I should.
1: You're right. Sure. Why limit yourself? That's right.
0: <laughs> I, <laughs> I was wrestling fan number six hundred and forty-two. <laughs> you may know me. <laughs> Had a little more, more so, hair back then. <laughs> yeah, a little bit more hair. <laughs> Those was my pretty days, pretty boy days. Excellent. Uh, all right. You know what? Let's get uh, let's let's get this show started. All right. Enough, enough small talk. Enough bantering. Brian McDonald is the president of the National Braille Press. The National Braille Press uh, is an organization that promotes literacy for blind children, um, but really people of all ages, uh, and giving gives them access to information that empowers blind people to actively engage in work, family, and community affairs. Brian, can you move? Hello,
2: this right? is Brian McDonald. Is this uh, Brian on, on this line? It
1: is Brian. How are you?
2: Good. Is this clear enough for sound?
1: Perfect Yeah, I think so.
2: Okay, well great, well let's let's just
0: dive in. Um, uh, why don't we start with um, telling us a little bit about uh, what you guys do um, at uh, at the organization?
2: Okay. Well National Braille Press is based in Boston, but we are uh, across the US and we certainly work with many countries beyond the US border. Um, we're a nonprofit. We're a publisher and producer of braille materials that supports braille literacy and and tactile literacy, I should say, um, for children. And certainly we provide information in braille for adults too, for lifelong learning and work and so forth. Um, now how long have you guys been around? We are 91 years old. We were founded in 1927. Um, we started out as a newspaper for the blind, um, and certainly we've morphed into many other things since then
0: and now so so is the is the main um, crux of of your services actual printing
2: yes the majority of, well the world is changing as we all know when you talk <laughs> about digital print and, and even with braille but uh, the majority of our work still is in paper print braille yeah and um that includes making tactile graphics that are physical that you can feel for tests and textbooks as well um but certainly we do a lot of digital braille too in in different formats for for future downloads and things like that. so uh, that can happen too
0: now I, I we're up in Canada, so um but, but I mean I you know are we're sort of in the same boat I'm sure in, in a lot of ways, and I know for us. You know, Braille literacy has been um, a bit of a a bit of an uphill battle for the last ten years or so, with with sort of the advent of of really really good screen readers, um, you know, and um, you know text to speech technology on smartphones and stuff. So um, there, you know, there's there's been this sort of this these growing murmurings that 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 could take the place of of actually being able to read Braille for this next generation. Um, have you guys been, been finding that?
2: Well, I, I, it's a, we've certainly heard the same kind of talking points and discussions. I I would say that I I really feel that the focus on the importance of Braille, um, is really stronger probably because of those threats. Um, it's pretty hard to argue that Braille is a dead language and it's not a language, but a dead code or whatever, um, when you think of how it impacts science, technology, engineering, and math, not having the ability to read a complex yeah. equation or, or a science formula or learning a language, certainly grammar and sentence structure and spelling even are essential for you to become literate by definition. And it's pretty hard to do that without Braille. I'm not saying that people can't get jobs if they don't know Braille, that are blind and so forth. We've been those, through those discussions, but certainly... Some data shows that the people that are employed in America that have learned braille are, are much more likely to be employed and successful in their careers than those that haven't had it. So I think that that under my, underlying notion is still pretty prevalent. And, and um, so I'm not discouraged. I think it is something certainly to be concerned about, but I, I still feel pretty optimistic overall.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. and. One of my questions I had for you, uh, Brian, is: Are you guys producing your books using the traditional contracted Braille, or have you guys switched over to UEB?
2: Uh, we were the first in the U.S. to switch over to UEB before was even the official date. Oh, okay. Our one of our periodicals called uh, Syndicated Columnist Weekly uh, we did as a test point. We get, we had an insert that showed some of the contractions changes you know between UEB and EBAE in our case and. Um, so no, we've well we do all formats. So in America, it's not unified. I don't mean to say unified like <laughs> UEB, right. yeah. but it's not consistent in every state. Right. Um, every state makes their own plans of, you know, whether it be at what grade they transition to UEB. Um, so we we as producers of Braille and publishers, we have ov- obviously the skill sets to do all formats, contracted, uncontracted UEB, EBAE, multiple languages. So. So we're skilled at all of it, but eventually, I think that transition will become more and more into UEB for sure in all states. Yeah, and I
1: think that's got to be tough. You know, I'm I'm totally blind myself and lost my sight later in life, so Braille has not come naturally to me. It's been a struggle, but he, just recently yeah. I've started trying to learn a little bit of of Braille math and doing some research. It looks like in the U.S. anyway, some states have adopted. UEB math. Others are stuck sticking with Nemeth. You know, it's got to be really difficult to try and please everybody when there's really no set standard that everyone's adopted yet.
2: No, I think you're right, and and it is a concern. The the um, I, I, I'm in general, it seems like in, in different states so far that they're focusing on UEB for you know, kindergarten or, you know, primary grades, you know, and then the high schoolers that already learned English Braille would stick with that to graduate and not worry about taking a test that's changed into UEB. Um, but in reference to the math, it has been more of a, a debate, I guess, whether you go with Nemeth or just stick with, with uh, like you're saying, UEB Braille math or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's something that we'll have to play out, and we'll see what happens. But... It seems to me so far it's early that um, more will be going to UEB than to Nemeth, I think. But it's too early to predict that.
1: Yeah.
0: So now going back to the idea of, of Braille literacy, um, you know, obviously the the best way to, to encourage Braille literacy is to, you know, to sort of hit the youth, hit them while you're young. Um, what are some of your, your organization's strategies in doing that?
2: Well, we do it a few ways. Um, uh, like if you think of, uh, the, ver- I guess the first way we start is this. We have a program called Read Books because Braille Matters. And um, it's an introductory free book bag that goes to parents of children that are blind or are going to lose their vision perhaps. And it goes to any teacher that's visually impaired or school system that has students that are blind. And what it is is a, a compilation of a, a book on... Um, why Braille matters as far as uh, the importance for that student. And um, it's we have one that we wrote ourselves uh, through one of our employees at the time, Just Enough to Know Better, which teaches Braille to the parents or to a a new teacher, perhaps, that isn't a TVI. Um, So they get an understanding of the basics of how to communicate and start teaching Braille to that child when they're not in school. So that's really important to get them early on. For the parents to realize that Braille is important for the child, whether they have some functional vision or not, if they're going to have a degenerative eye disease, eventually Braille may be really critical for that person's life and, and, and that it's not uh, you know, a daunting, horrible thing to deal with. It, Braille can really be something that's very useful and beneficial. So that's one thing we do. We also have a little program called Bumpy Basics, Um, that it's just to get a toddler to get an understanding of what braille dots mean. Um, If you think of a sighted toddler, they see billboards and parents reading newspapers or books and they start to make a connection about literacy even very young. But if you don't have some similar thing for a blind young child, uh, Bumpy Basics, when you're reading books and stuff, gets them to start feeling bumps and understand that that's kind of The relationship they need to have you know so we do that and then we certainly have our children's real book club that um is a subscription that you can get a book every month and you know there's they're always fun bestsellers or or traditional classics that um we do from time to time as well but a lot of new books that are winning awards for youth and young readers that we do that helps to encourage the love of reading And the last thing we do is we have a program called Great Expectations, which is a book series. And unlike the Children's Book Club, it also goes into a lot of multimodal learning, uh, including music and song and dance and poetry and jokes and um, online activities for parents with computers to uh, have this book connected in multiple ways. It makes it fun to really encourage the joy of just reading and and which strengthens literacy and and braille skills and all that. And the other thing we did with the great expectation series is we, we helped parents to understand how to do picture description because in most of our books, we we never really delved into defining pictures, but in, in the great expectation series, we have description built in so parents can read that and learn how to describe a scene or a setting, um, and and I think that's really important too to give a stronger uh, understanding of a book for a child.
1: So, what is your turnaround time once you decide on a book that you're going to convert to braille?
2: Well, if we're doing a, a book for like a private author or something, it's 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 four to six weeks, depending on how complex a book is, obviously. But but we we cycle books every we're doing them all the time, so we just have a schedule for the year of. You know, we have like a 12 to 18 month calendar of what we're going to be producing. And with the exception of different types of jobs that are inserted in there. So we're, you know, we're always like two months ahead of schedule, you know, producing the book that will be sold, you know, down the road here. So that's about what it would be.
1: And for textbooks, students typically have them at the start of the school year or is there a little bit of a an overlap into that?
2: Well, that certainly depends on the procrastination of the teachers, <laughs> doesn't it? <laughs> but, but um, what we do do in the cases where we may receive them late, um, we will we will print and and uh, transcribe, you know, a number of chapters, uh, you know, in advance, and then continue to chase ahead of the teacher's schedule to make sure they deliver delivered for the student on time. Um, you know, it really depends. I will say that we put a tremendous push this year to our educational uh, outreach to get textbooks in earlier than like August or September. Right. And we, we had a huge order already in April, the month of April. So uh, if that happens, we'll be way ahead of the game for the students and won't be scrambling as hard towards the fall when school starts. So we'll see what happens. But that's that's our intent. Excellent. So now you also
0: um, have something that you've you've called the Center for Braille Innovation. Could you could you tell us a little bit of a of a rundown on what you guys are working on there?
2: Sure. Yeah. So I, I've been there a little over ten years now at National Braille Press, and in my very first year, I certainly I was never in the field blindness field at all. So I had a lot to learn and still do. But but I realized that one of the big challenges was the digital world was already starting and upon us. Digital textbooks were, were more of a thought, not getting into high production yet, but digital tests were right behind it. And the the cost for refreshable Braille displays was averaging $6,500 for one unit. And not only schools struggled to afford that for, for students, families couldn't afford them either. And, if you really wanted to encourage children and students to be strong in Braille, they're not getting enough time in school systems in America to really be as good as they should. At least they could be doing stuff at home with a, a Braille display, whether it's games or passive learning or things like that that would be fun to strengthen their Braille skills. So my interest was, let's, let's get a team of experts together, um, identify leveraging emerging technologies that can help do a few things. One, make the cost of Braille much lower than it had been and still high-quality, reliable Braille that was easy to mass-produce. And our interest wasn't just in Braille itself, but also with tactile graphics. Like, how can we make a real-time output of a graphic, you know, whether it be a bar chart or a line curve or, or even a diagram or image that could be the future digital test that you need to have real responses that are dynamic. If you answer a question one way, you get a different graph. If you answer it correctly, you get a different graph. So you can't just have a stack of tactile graphics necessarily in a pile they are in some sequential order because a dynamic test may change on you and you're totally lost. So all those things are of interest to us, like for the future. So I first person I contacted was Dean Blazy, who um, some of your listeners probably know his name. Right. Um, he created the Braille and Speak. and the Braille lights and the series and originally under blaze engineering. And then they were sold to freedom scientific when he retired. But I called Dean up and I said, Dean, you don't know me. I'm the new kid on the block at NBP, but you certainly know of us. And I said, you, you made am- amazing uh, support for the blindness community when he created refreshable Braille that was, you know, successful. But I said, you also know it costs an awful lot. And I'd like to see if you could help me find a way to reduce that cost. So he flew up uh, to Boston to visit me and spent the day with me. And, and he said, my no compete with freedom scientific ended eight years ago. I'm in, I want to help. And so he and I were the first two of the center for braille innovation. And then we recruited 25, 24 other people. They were all walks of life, certainly engineers and researchers, teachers, lawyers that are blind, um, a lot of really talented people with different backgrounds. And we spent the first six months just figuring out what's out there in the world, what has been done in research and what do, what do people want for a product, you know? And, and we, we did a white paper at that time that had like 32 research projects around the world. And, and we realized that two things are going on. One was that not a lot of change since Dean had retired. <laughs> Technology hadn't really changed that much. Costs were still high to, buy these things, um, and not, and and even the new technologies we were identifying then were promising. They weren't ready yet for prime time. So we, we decided to take two courses of action, one to make a lower-cost Braille display, um, which became our B2G for Braille to Go, and the second thing was let's continue concurrently research on making a full-page Braille and graphic tablet for the blind. So, so those two things were what drove this, the primary mission of the Center for Braille Innovation. And since then, we launched the B2G two years ago at the CSUN conference in San Diego, and we've been doing well with that selling units. Um, and we had a tactile caliper that um, um, you might not have heard of, but it has a sliding, like a slide rule almost on it that has refreshable mechanical braille that tells you to the 16th of an inch what you're measuring for size. Uh, there's a metric version that has since come out. Um, but that that was also at CSUN in 2016. And now we're, even though the B2G is more of a full computer that, you know, has lots of features on it and it's, it's also $2,495. It isn't that cheap, but it's cheaper than what was out there. Um, but we're now in fact arriving today, literally today, um, we're getting our first shipment of a new product called the Braille Me from India. InnoVision is the company Yep. it's a 20 cell Braille display, a simpler device, simple reader, simple editor on it, um, SD card, but you can Bluetooth with Android and iOS with it. Um, and it'll retail for $499 us. So that's a pretty good thing. And what I found with um, our customers, we have customers that bought the B2G and all they do is read books on it. But because it was a lower price device compared to some of the competitors, they bought it. Right. And, and so I, we're excited to be distributing this in North America, in uh, Canada, Mexico, and the U S um, for people that want a simple device that can take notes still and connect to a, a smartphone. But um is a lot less expensive than even our B 2 G. So we we look at the B 2 G for students and people in the workplace that need a lot more functionality. We have paralegals and lawyers and you know business people that need a lot more you know capability. But the BrailleMe with connections to an iPhone or an Android phone still has a lot of cool stuff you can do with it. But um, it's a simpler device at a really much less expensive price, which we're excited about.
1: Yeah, and I'm I'm hoping that you know, products like the Orbit 20 kind of got the ball rolling with the lower-priced Braille display options. You know, maybe the Braille doesn't refresh as quickly. Maybe it's a little bit more mechanical. Maybe it's a little bit more noisy. But with products like the Orbit and the Braille Me, I'm really hoping that we're about to see some revolution in Braille technology.
2: Right. I agree. And just to add uh, in full disclosure, so... The Peralmi, the company InnoVision from India, um, was awarded our Touch of Genius Prize a couple months ago, uh, and we gave it out to them at the CSUN conference this past March. Uh, we have a, a adjudication committee from people outside of MVP that there are you know, different, very well-respected people that chose it, and we're really impressed with its technology behind it, too, not... Um, so I, I give credit to the Orbit for being out there. When we launched our B2G in 2016, that's when the Orbit launched. And um, it's a different design. It's totally different from the BrailleMe. Mm-hmm. But um, I give them credit for really pushing that envelope to try and get prices down. And uh, the BrailleMe, uh, I, I'm very excited about because I, I think its technology is so revolutionary that it's going to change Braille forever. That's It's one moving part and a totally different approach and very durable. So we're really excited about it and we think it's a, again, a compliment but it has potential for a lot of other things besides just the, the 20 cell braille display.
1: Right.
0: I mean, we've, we've long sort of been advocates for, for braille literacy as well. And I I think to us, the technology behind um, refreshable braille has been one of the really big hurdles to get over because, because it is so expensive. And uh, I really see this as being really important right now because uh, i think that it, it, the more options that that can be offered in in terms of price point the better because sure uh, you know a $6000 braille display that's you know that's that's sort of state of the art is great for those people who can afford it but there's just there's such a huge segment of the the population that that's just out of their reach and so you know you're developing so, some sort of new technology that can be that can can produce and, and produce braille in a more efficient manner. That that the price point can drop is is just crucial right now, especially when we have to compete with things like screen readers and 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 you know, uh, text to voice.
2: Exactly. No, I'm, I do think we're at a a new era that's starting right now, and how it adapts is it. I'm not. Being wise, it's going to really impact the market. Uh, all yep. the big companies, um, it's going to really rethink how Braille is done in the future. Um, it's it's to me exciting. I I say it as a capitalist too. I'm not a socialist, but to be clear, um, I believe in competition because I sure. think it helps really to hone everyone's skill sets and to make products better. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And I think these guys from India were very innovative and and. They've tested it for 8 million cycles without failure, which is really impressive, So, um, and it's easy to manufacture. So I'm I'm just thinking that this approach will be really interesting to watch and see how it evolves over time and what other competitors do to counter it, to be honest. so, so do you, I may be wrong. I'm sticking my neck out by of saying all these big predictions, <laughs> but I think it'll be really interesting to see. So, so,
1: so you being the distributor for InnoVision, in, I think you said, North America, including Canada. Is that going to be available through online sales, or will you have dealers up here?
2: Right now, um, we will be doing it like we did with the B2G. We go to a number of shows, um, and we have direct on the web you could buy products, but also by calling in. Um, but uh, even with the B2G, when I launched it two years ago, I had representatives wanting to sell it for us, but they wanted a thousand dollars commission per unit. Right. I just wasn't going to market up to our customers that way. Yeah. I told my board at that time, I'd rather sell them slower until they get to kick the tires at some show or luncheon or wherever they might see it or, you know, see a friend's or whatever. But I'd rather do it that way than to put the price on the consumers. You know, it, it's just how that's, that's our mission. Kind of, we try to sell books at the lowest price possible and products are the same way. So for the braille because it is such a low margin, I mean, $499 is mm-hmm. not a lot of profit being made on any unit being sold. No. Um, and, 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 we're, and we're not doing that for that reason, as you can tell, but, um, but uh, we're going to help the innovation people find other distributors as well. We can't, I told them no Anybody that says they can do it all themselves is lying to you. I mean, we're just happen to be the first one, you know, coming through. I think with it, but I imagine within the next couple of months we'll be identifying some other ones that'll be selling the product too. But um, but anyway, we're I'm, I'm being really clear. We just you know we're gonna have to figure this out. It's a it's a new business model for 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 this kind of product to be sold too because. You know, if it, if it had a, d- a damage in shipment or it had a bad part or whatever, like, there's a point of no return of you're not going to mail this to India and back and forth because exactly. you're paying more to insure it and send it than you would to just replace it. You know, yeah. like, it's right. $409 is still a lot of money, but it's it's not 6000 or $7,000. You know what I mean? Yeah. So
1: Yeah, and that was, you know, my, I mean, my, 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 my main reason for asking is because here in Canada, we still can't get an Orbit 20 unless we order it through APH, um, right? you know, CNIB up yeah. here won't get them because there was, you know, some, some delays in manufacturing or something and they wanted to wait till that got sorted out. So if people are interested right. in the braille me, we can just direct them to your website.
2: Yes. That's yeah. And it's not even on our website yet. Cause we were waiting for our first shipment cause we didn't want to have a slurry of back orders and hold people up. So, right. um, by this coming Friday, we'll have it on our website. But, um, There's references to the Touch of Genius prize that we gave there, but um, this Friday you'll have information on how you can buy them because that's when we're officially getting it out. Great. So, um, but that's true. Yeah, you can buy it direct. Um, The B2Gs we sell in North America the same way, um, where you can just buy direct through us.
1: Now, do you... I I know we talked about, you you just mentioned the, the servicing aspect of it. If there was any troubleshooting or service issues that came up would people just get in contact with National Braille press then
2: Yes we're going to be managing service here as well okay um, so we'll have units what we'll probably honestly do is swap them out we're not going even right we can do repairs we'll be trained for you know repairs just if there were certain things wrong but um, we it's just more practical to swap things out to be honest sure. at that point. So that's probably how a lot of things will be handled. Okay.
0: Now, are you looking for other distributors in other countries?
2: Well, because they're from India, they're doing the the whole Eastern Asian region. They're already selling these in Pakistan and, and, and other countries. Um, they just did that about a month ago. Um, so they'll handle that. I am I am I certainly I'm on I'm a member of the World Blind Union also. So. I certainly have some connections in other countries, and if they need me to help with that, I can do that. But um, our responsibility is just uh, directly North America, and they they if they need help, we may ask for help. But they're trying to figure out the rest of the world.
0: Gotcha. And now, does that let's let's talk a little bit about braille printing. Now, does does any of that technology impact the the cost of braille printing? Because, as I'm sure you know. Um, even just the act of, of Braille printing is also um, a bit of a costly endeavor. Um, does any of that have an impact on printing?
2: Right now, it, it, it's not the same. Um, it, I, I'm not saying it couldn't be adapted to do that, but um, we're working with these guys on distributing the BrailleMe. We're working with them on a full page display too soon using the same technology that's in the BrailleMe. And we're working with uh, a big entity that I can't talk about also for an OEM product. Um, So we have a lot to bite off with them right now. So Braille embosses and printing isn't going to be with them right now, at least. But I I can tell you, I work with a lot of engineering universities around here, and we've worked with one on that. And it hasn't been our highest priority either because we've been so concerned with digital Braille that, it's been a little bit of a back burner, but it is still important because those prices aren't going down either, right. very much at least. And and I I do think for someone in home to have an affordable embosser is a big deal. And I'd like to see one at about three hundred bucks or something if <laughs> we can pull it off. It's that's good. I mean, good too. Reliable, not just uh.
1: Well, if you can get you it know, down to three hundred bucks, that's going to be pretty that's revolutionary. A, that's a game changer. Yeah.
0: Yeah, because I was going to say, no, I mean, there there are some you know some quote, Mainstream uh, manufacturers out there that are kind of—I uh, feel like—testing the waters of some sort of a tactile printing system. Um, but you know, everything that I've seen, um, you know, it's 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 pretty lackluster and it seems pretty limited. Um, but you with right. you with you sort of having an, a sort of an inside view of, of the technology. I don't know. Do you see it do you see a time when a three hundred dollar embosser for the home would be a reality
2: yeah i really do i i just think the emphasis has been so much recently on braille for a lot of people because it was sort of a race it seems to try and find new ways to create refreshable braille displays that it just kind of left the embosser printer world behind a tiny bit to be honest i, I think i think now that there's been a lot of progress in refreshable braille technologies over the last year or so that there will be that's a market that needs to be addressed and i think it'll come back stronger now but it I I've definitely seen some very innovative methods um, and prototypes too, working prototypes that could be for $300. Um, but we all kind of like kind of put it on the side, and now it's time to look at that again. Right. And just out of curiosity, I mean, uh,
0: f- I think last year we talked to a a European company that was looking into they were they were big into touch screen haptics yeah and sort of the notion of the idea that maybe someday we could get some sort of a braille for touch screens uh, almost like right. a simulation using using a combination of of, of touch screens and haptics. H- have you seen any of that, and what's kind of your take on that?
2: No, I'm very interested in, in its still. Um, I work with uh, believe it or not, Disney research. Um, And I worked together on that for about a year and a half. Um, Disney was looking at it originally for exhibitry, you know, with Disney World and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, Where you could have a a tactile experience with feeling a jellyfish or things like that, you know. Right. Um, And I met with them, obviously, from a different perspective than than that. Um, but there's also the same similar kind of t- electrostatic haptic technology was being used with Senseg in Finland. They recently sold to China, uh, so um, that company's been a little bit on a you know slower path to get back uh, to figure out what's going on there. But I also just recently connected with a company in Australia that's doing a similar approach, and we're going to connect as well. I, I think I've from what I know from what I've tested. Uh, physically, I mean, uh, myself tested. It has definitely has potential. Um, we've seen people test triangles in different geometric shapes, you know, for for test kind of environments uh, successfully. You can definitely feel different hash marks and textures to identify bar charts and things like that as well. Um, the Braille on the version we were testing at the time, because it was in a grid pattern, the way that it was giving feedback to your you're nervous in your fingers. If you press the dot one for a it would, it would repeat across the board. A, a, A A A A because it wasn't made to do that multi-touch kind of outputs. You know what I mean? Right. Wherever your fingers are is what you'd feel and read, but it would, it wouldn't work the right way. It has, the, I think it has the capacity and resolution to do braille without a doubt. Um, it's how you make it render that it that was not solved by the time I, Right. Now Disney actually said they no longer had interest in electrostatic haptics.
1: Hmm.
2: Um, and the person who I was working with has left. So that's kind of in limbo right now too. So I'm chasing, I've been non disclosure with Disney. So I'm actually chasing their attorneys now to talk about re, um, uh, getting that going again. Right. So we'll see what happens. But I do think it has a lot of potential. I don't know what you can really discern for height, like how much you can really feel that isn't really there as a height, right. I'd love to know that. If you were looking at a, an XY grid, you want to be able to distinguish the main access points differently from the line. You know what I mean? From yeah. a, not just thickness, but it would be nice to feel a greater height there versus the line itself, perhaps, or something. You know? So those are the things we need to test more of, and I, I'm, I'm still very interested in it, yes. I think it has potential. And I guess I'll add one more thing. I know I'm talking a lot. No, so, no, no, um, no.
0: No, that, that's great. That makes our lives easier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: But what I do think is really important was, let's say that we could find out that on a tablet or a smartphone, you could do this properly. Not just like a simple graphic, but Braille. If you think of around the world with over 7 billion people um, in, this, in this world, more people have access to smartphones than they do yes. toilets in this world. That's right. And if you could find a way to, to have that into a universal design, it would make a lot of developing countries have access to Braille in ways they never could before. I mean, I, I know of stories in countries where they have a Perkins Braille writer and, and it sits on a shelf because they can't afford the parts to fix it, you know. Yes. But they have smartphones, you know. This is the kind mm-hmm. of stuff that I'd love to be able to solve that even from that perspective, even if you can't do everything in tacti- tactile graphics, it might be a helpful thing for reaching out to the world. So I'm still very interested in it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I would agree. I mean, I, I think that that will also be a real game changer if if we can work that technology out. You know, it's just a matter of, you know, when, I, I, I suppose, um, and, and and just how much work is is putting is, is getting placed into that. Um, you know, technology is is changing so fast. Um, part of the problem is, is it, it, it 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 changes so fast that you start developing one technology and something else pops up that becomes the new darling, and everybody sort of shifts their their weight over to that. So
2: no, that's true, and that and that's that's what I love about our Center for Brain Innovation. We feel we're on that cutting edge all the time, seeing on the horizon what's coming and knowing what, how we can adapt because. When we talk to a research partner or someone doing a certain type of approach, we say, i goal go to the simple, high-quality, low-cost tablet for the blind, graphics and Braille for the blind. Right. And it's whoever wins, wins. But we do feel like we're working with the University of Michigan right now. Where we're, as I said, we were working with Disney. We're working with others on that again. Um, we're, we're working with InnoVision, as, as we just discussed with the BrailleMe. Somewhere, somehow, we're going to find there's a best approach to render Braille for multi-lines of Braille or for graphics, but also this might be better for another part, and we will try and merge these entities together to create the ultimate product, and so that's what I love about the Center for Braille Innovation. We're always trying to think in that regard because we're not owning all these IPs and properties. We're just kind of the broker. We're the information broker trying to make the deal for humanity, so that's what's fun about it.
0: Well, you know, I, I you, my last question here for you was going to be, uh, you know, what are what are you kind of excited about? That's that you see developing, but I think I think we've already covered that. I think you've already answered that.
2: Well, I, I, you are correct in one thing that technology is changing really fast, and I I won't be satisfied personally until we definitely have a good solution for a tactile graphics. Uh, Braille and tactile graphic product. Um, and I would love to see the universal design we talked about with, yeah. with Braille or some kind of limited graphics on, on smartphones. So if that happens, we've made leap, huge, huge advances in countries that really need a lot of help. Um, and, and for everyone to have a more affordable products, so I don't mean it just developing countries, but I'd love to see that Braille just, you know, has opportunity to grow and flourish in everywhere in the world because of these changes in technology. That's what my ultimate goal will be.
0: Well, we're right there with you. Um, you know, we we're, we're we'll be waiting with bated breath as well because, you know, the 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 sooner that that, you know, every single visually impaired person can have easy access to to Braille, without having to purchase you know a six thousand dollar add on device. Um, is is what we, we need to shoot for as the ideal.
2: Yeah, well, I, we're working away, and, and periodically we update some of this on our, our Center for Braille Innovation section of our website. And if anyone does want to reach me directly, um, they can just email me at just president at org is the easiest way to remember it, probably. Um, and... Uh, I answer all my own emails and we can certainly can help. So answer any questions people have.
0: That's great. And and also uh, you pl- um, also
2: tell them about the website so they can go to that. So the website is, is www.nbp for National Braille Press, nbp.org. That's it. It's very simple.
0: Great. And we'll, of course, we'll include uh, both those links uh, in our show notes as well. Um, Brian, I'd like to thank you so much for for coming out and talking to us. And and you know, um, we're happy to have you on again. Maybe uh, when the when the Braille Me um, is released and and you're distributing it, and you, we can have you on and, and we can maybe you know deep dive into the device and talk a little bit more about it.
2: I think that'd be fun. I think people are really curious. And as you said, since we're not in every city and every state and province let's let's try and do a little bit of a summary of it for people that you know might not see it for a little bit they can get a better handle on it sounds good thanks for having me on i appreciate it rob and ryan thank you
1: no thank you for your time hey ryan yes sir where can people find us ah no it hasn't been that long wow they can find us at www.atbanter.com
0: uh, Yeah, they can also uh, drop us a line if they so desire podcast at gmail.com uh, and find us on Facebook at ATBanter and
1: on Twitter at AT underscore banter. Exactly. They can also find Canadian Assistive Technologies at canastech.com that's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com
0: uh, yeah, and they can also find uh, Mr. Rick Chant over at Chaos Technical Services that's available to service any sort of problem that you might have with any of your assistive technology, be it, uh, you know, a low-vision CCTV or, uh, you know, braille display, braille printer, whatever. He can fix it. He can be found at www.chaostechnicalservices.com. And uh, that's it. That's it. That is it. All right. Thanks, everybody, so much for listening in this week. We will see everybody next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H dot com or call us toll-free at 1-844-795-8324. For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. Music provided by bensound.com. Whoa, look at that. Master the One Take.